there and welcome to the 2020 edition of the UAE Tech Podcast, a series of discussions on how technology is reshaping governance and economics in the United Arab Emirates. From our offices in Media City, Dubai, I'm John Lillywhite with Abu Abba Business. It is new, and that's why I need regulation and policy around it. Yeah. It's, um, it's our role and everyone's role to work with government to give them confidence that we can securely capture the data, we can analyse the data, we can provide new insights using you know, advanced um, computer science or, or data science technologies to try and predict potential outcomes, whether that be traffic congestion, whether that be for the weather, we know they do, do a lot of cloud seed in our region. So by coming to private industry, by allowing us to take their data and analyse it in new insightful ways, it's really driving some of the decision making for government, um, both now um, and in the future. key theme of the UAE Tech Podcast is the emerging synergy between government services and digital transformation. It's not something that's often talked about in the regional entrepreneurship circuit or in local tech blogs and media. That's funny because it's a palpable trend here in the UAE and perhaps everywhere. This week we're talking with Paul Bogan, Chief Digital Officer for a British company called Serco, with offices here in Dubai and a presence across the Middle East. Serco have a compelling vantage point on the mega trends shaping how data is driving government services, how robots work in real life and not just in the movies, or how COVID-19 is accelerating digital adaptation within large organizations. For reasons of client confidentiality, it's often difficult to go into detail on technical or case study specifics. What is clear is that things are changing fast and changing globally. First of all, John, thank you very much for, for the invite um, and coming on board. So my current role at the moment is that of a Chief Digital Officer. And I'm the Chief Digital Officer in the Middle East for, for Circle. And just, you know, for any of, your, or any of our listeners, um, Circle is a, is a British company. Uh, we employ around 60,000 people uh, globally. And we're a very proud provider of public services both in the UK and Europe, North America, Asia Pacific, and obviously here in the Middle East, and specifically within the Middle East, we have around four and a half thousand people that you know delivering services within Bahrain, Iraq, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and Qatar, and here in, in the United Arab Emirates. In my role, really, I joined Circle at the end of, of last year was to really look at what does transformation mean for for us, for Circle. And we decided, that's myself and Phil Mellon, our CEO, to keep it quite simple for the first year. You know, what, what we're really strong, where are our strengths and the way we deliver. And we manage people, so it seemed naturally organic to, to have a strategy around workforce management, i.e. a consistent way of managing all of our staff across our contracts in a way that is efficient and to try and improve productivity. 
we manage assets, we manage large contracts here in the UAE, such as the Metro, the tram, we manage universities, we manage defence and uh, military camps. So managing physical assets it seemed again natural to have a, a digital asset management uh, strategy and technology that would support that. And then the final part really of our strategy is about data management. What are the data characteristics that drive real value in the way that empowers our people to drive a better service? And this is sort of encapsulated with a customer experience. It's a new proposition for us in the region. It's been a circle for around 20 years, but we thought now is the time to set up a whole experience lab and facility in region and to start putting civilians and consumers at the heart of the way that we drive innovation for, for our services. And, and, I've, and I've been here for 11 years. I, I, met, I met my wife here. Um, we got married a, a couple of years ago. And my wife, I mean, she's been here for about 34 years now. She runs the largest animal charity in the region. So it's a, it's a country and a nation of which I, I, I do love. Uh, we're not going anywhere quickly and being able to work across the Middle East with so many different nationalities and cultures coming together um, has been has been fantastic up to date and I look forward to the to the future. COVID-19 has introduced a new problem set and series of economic challenges for the UAE and countries around the world. I asked Paul how his day-to-day work had been affected. So when you go into the office what are the kind of problems for example that you're faced with? So I think some of the challenges we have, we all have at the moment, we're in a period of uh, low liquidity, certainly in the UAE, a lot of the diversification, so i.e. through tourism and retail, um, has pretty much, you know, flatlined. A lot of the universities we manage, the students are no longer there. Uh, the airports that we look after haven't got passengers and footfall. So actually the challenges are, are fairly consistent. Uh, simple but very complex on, on how we deliver a service and that is um, how do we provide and continue to enhance our services and our government partners, how do they continue to enhance their public services for the civilians and region in a period where there's very little liquidity. Mm. So day to day that essentially means going down, you know, I'm very fortunate now I can actually meet my clients, you know, it's open, you know, it's Met, met three or four different clients this week to look at how we drive one of the big things for us in that digital asset management strategy how do we maximize the economic life of their assets what are the what's the data that we are capturing that can help them get a better management of what opex and capital budgets they have uh, in this period of uh, low transition of, of new passengers coming in so day to day it's really working with clients how do we help them support the assets of which they're maintained? On the ground and on the grid, it's clear Circo has significant assets for civilian and government clients around the world. So how does an organisation of that size and complexity pivot when something unexpected happens? Of course, I mean, the biggest pivot, the biggest pivot we have made is, is Circo and region is, uh, you know, during this period, with this contingent COVID, COVID-19, we want to be seen out on the front foot with our partners and supporting them through this period. So we've actually pivoted quite a lot. I mean, if you look at Circo in the UK, we provide, or we managed to mobilise around 12,000 people almost immediately to support the NHS through contact tracing. 
you know, most of most of our nations, including UAE, have a Al Hassan app. The problem is that the technology uh, is just not refined enough to do mass scale uh, people tracking and to do all the inferences and the contacts or primary or secondary contacts of which they come into contact with. Um, so a lot of our pivoting at the moment is to be providing COVID specific services. So we're doing a lot of testing for clients here in region. We've been doing a lot of sanitization for clients in region. We've really been looking at you know, some of the security systems that we manage. What analytics can we put on there to try and support through computer vision to try and support safe distancing and to do thermal recognition for temperature scanning. So I think the pivot has been quite large for us. It's been quite profound and we are still continuing to support and are looking to support the government for things like uh, contact tracing and, and these other COVID solutions. So it's clear data and digital technology are playing a massive role in the great COVID-19 pivot. Because SECA worked closely with the public sector in the UAE, Paul is in a really interesting position to be able to reflect on these changes. I think government is going through a huge transformation at each stage. So if you look at services and its totality, you know, some of, some of the technologies we have now and some of the future technologies will offer substantial improvements to how these services to the end consumer is operated. And the big focus certainly for us here in the UE to be the happiest set in our world is really with a focus on, you know, what does that customer journey-led transformation look like? How can we look at the different services that government provides to our civilians and start to integrate those in the back end? So something as simple as, I mean, I know, John, you love here in the UE. I mean, when we first got here in 2009, how difficult was it just to just to rent a property? You had to go to Diwa, then you had to go to Ijari, then you had to go to Do, then you had, you know, there was a succession of different services that you have to enable before renting a house. Whereas if you look now, the government has done some some um, incredible amount of integration of, of putting a lot of these platforms online. Again, making a more seamless transition from people that want to do something as, as simple as renting a house. If you look at processes and that sort of linking back into those services, what you see a lot of governments really embracing now, and we're certainly um, supporting them that, is really about complex case management. And these technologies, and again, this is a back-end integration of these services, has a number of benefits, but really it's all about how do we provide something more efficiently, how do we provide something more effectively to the civilians that live and work here in the UAE. So government is changing. We've been talking about this a lot on the UAE Tech Podcast, but what are the technologies really driving this trend and how and why is it happening? Cloud is an inevitability, I think. Uh, the big challenge comes to that regulation and policy about well, where does the data be held and how do you securely manage that data on behalf of governments. So there's a real balance between leveraging cloud and cloud services as much as possible. And once you get your information onto the cloud, there are frameworks out there from Microsoft and a number of others. We can really start to analyse that data. But where is the data located? And that's, I think, something they're trying to um, address at the moment. That is new, and that's why I need regulation and policy around it. It's, yeah. um, it's our role and everyone's role to work with government to give them confidence that we can securely capture the data, we can analyse the data, 
we can provide new insights using you know advanced um, computer science or, or data science technologies to try and predict potential outcomes whether that be traffic congestion whether that be for the weather we know they do, do a lot of cloud seeding in our region so by coming to private industry by allowing us to take their data and analyze it in new insightful ways is really driving some of the decision making for government um, both now um, and in the future it's clear circo has some compelling experience with robotics so I asked Paul what kind of role automation might play in the future. And just you know, when you talked about uh, robots and, and robotics, I think from a robots, I think one of the one of the sectors that's really had a huge advancement in this area, I think, is really the healthcare mm. healthcare industry. Um, we are depending on the level of maturity. You know, we have hospitals in Australia where the entire back end, the service that's providing the catering is all managed through through robots. Um, and it's allowing um, staff that are working in, in the hospital to focus on other more urgent and critical needs. And for the doctors and nurses themselves, you know, there are some very advanced decision making tools out there. Again, but the whole thing is around, can we provide more valuable time back to the doctors and nurses so they can focus on patient care? So that's a lot of automation in the back end of patient information, for instance. And so there's a lot of robotics that's at the back end of that, which is allowing the automation of these services. But again, it's can we provide and support our nurses and doctors to spend more time on patients? So a lot of the technology solutions we've discussed are surprisingly commonplace in their intent. Cleaning a toilet, delivering food to a patient, or tracking wheelchairs and bed availability. Yet driven by the Internet of Things and data analysis, these solutions also have a global application. Where you have the catering that obviously produces the food. The food is moved down the verticals to the different levels of the hospital. The food is picked up by robots. Oh, wow. And the robots follow a very predefined path uh, to then patient to provide them to provide them their food. If we look at James Cook and, and the United Kingdom, we've been trying a lot of these Internet of Things strategies, mm. which is essentially around, can we use sensors to pick up specific data points, again, that informs... Uh, new insights that drive new decision making. So we have been doing um, even simple things such as uh, the cleanliness of the bathrooms. You know, where we have clients with financial challenges at the moment, they believe they need more cleaners relative to customer complaints. When you start to look at data sets of well, how often people using the bathrooms, at what time of day, what day, what is the temperature like outside? It will have an impact. You know, obviously in the UK it rains a lot. People are muddy. They come into a hospital. They want to clean up. When you start to look at all the data um, positions, we started to analyse that actually you could actually reduce the volume of cleaners if you had them going at very specific times uh, to enhance the overall um, service delivery. We uh, another issue we find in a lot of hospitals, believe it or not, is people stealing wheelchairs. <laughs> Or people are borrowing wheelchairs, shall we say, sorry, that was incorrect, <laughs> and not bringing them back. Right. So we're actually using IoT devices to track all the critical equipment. So that if a specific doctor or nurse 
or attending or someone that works within the hospital needs a particular item, we can show them exactly where it is at any predefined time. And again, that's all about just enhancing productivity and improving the efficiency of the way we deliver the services. We use IoT strategies uh, for bed availability. What time does a bed become available? So we can get the cleaners into that room to sanitise that room to make up the bed so we can bring the next passenger, uh, passenger the next patient into, into the bed space. So there is actually a lot of um, digitisation, leveraging technology that's happening in healthcare and every market. It's just happening at very different speeds. What we're trying to do is to look globally at what that best in class looks like relative to the cost and bring these ideas into the hospitals that, that we manage in the, in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So what about more immediate term challenges? Can technology assist in social distancing? Would we even want it to? How are existing technologies being implemented in cities like Dubai or across the UAE to cope with a health pandemic? Social distancing is an interesting one because you really have a social contract on you with civilians. You're asking people to essentially social distance where possible, quarantine, at the right time. But we are looking at technology, especially when you look after something like a large critical infrastructure such as a metro, such as an airport. Can you leverage, and this is the thing, can you leverage a lot of the existing systems that currently operate in a way that drives analytics on top to support social distancing? Does that make sense? So analytics on the CCTV system, for instance, using computer and vision. So that the, the computer itself is starting to identify where people are coming into contact within the bounds of a two to two and a half meter space of which you can then communicate either through individuals to support that um, or you can you can communicate it on a loudspeaker. Mm-hmm. So these are these these are the some of the things that we have implemented to try and, and support that. It is very new. Um, you know, applications of computing science such as computing vision. It takes a long time to um, create an algorithm that is sophisticated to work, you know, 100% of the time. So at this moment in time, I still feel as though technology and people, it's about uh, complementary. It's about where technology can drive uh, improvements in the way that you deliver the service. Of course, we had to ask about future technology. IoT, AI, blockchain, all buzzwords. But what are the near-horizon technologies in reality that could reshape Paul's job and Sako's business in the near future? People have their own, their own opinions on it. It's certainly for me and a lot of my consumers, uh, a lot of the, my staff that I have, a lot of the partners that we speak to, I think people are getting quite tired of AI. Um, as, as, as a name, you know, we've been talking about it for 10 years. Has there been some big improvements in it? Yes, of course there have. But when you start to break down to real sort of computing science, data science, how do we, how do we use these new algorithms to better improve the weather? Um, these are the real applications I think are going to drive very favourable outcomes, certainly in the short to medium term. And I'll just give you an example. One of, one of the, the things we're looking at at the moment, bringing in some data scientists into the team because you need new skill sets and capabilities uh, to refresh your organisation. 
we've started to do very advanced um, predictive models on attrition and sickness. Attrition is a big thing in the UAE here. People generally come to you for a very specific reason, for a very specific time, and then leave. Obviously, we lose continuity with our clients. You lose continuity and experience. And so we've spent a lot of time really working uh, with, with data science and business analytics to look at the probabilities of different nationalities of different age groups actually leaving the UAE so that we can improve our profiling when we take on candidates to actually give us a better continuity in our services. And these applications of, of, of data science, whether it be from a, a people analytics perspective or coming back um, to you know the physical assets, and by physical assets I mean things like escalators, lifts, cars, chairs, to really understand the data sets that drive performance, criticality or safety, to analyse a prediction on when it will fail, are the big decision-making tools I see that really embraced in the short to medium term. Finally, to conclude this episode of the podcast, how is the UAE positioned in all of this? And can the country help shape global best practice on digital government services in the immediate term or near future? I don't think the UAE is that far away from being a pioneer in some of, some of these areas. Right. If you look at the government entities that have been set up specifically to look at things like, and the reason I never mentioned blockchain previously is because when you look at financial institutions, okay, when you look at cryptocurrency, banking, back-end finance, I think there is some real value. How do we leverage um, blockchain across the entire government services? I still think is um, um, quite difficult, but they do have entire teams focused in this area to drive value in the way that they improve some of those government um, elements I mentioned before, um, such as services. So, and they have a they have they have an incredible visionary in charge who wants to be ten years, fifty years ahead. I think is a new strategy ahead of any other country with respect to the enablement of technology. So, you know, they work well with other countries. Uh, they learn quickly. When there is liquidity in the market, they expect everything to be the biggest, the best, the fastest. So I think you've all started to see a real transfer of, you know, globally people look into the UAE on how you actually enable some of these services and region to improve government services to reduce uh, cost and to increase the overall happiness of, of civilians and, and people that come in um, for here on for holiday.